our speaker tonight. Um, he came on board as an alternate on the Board of Trustees of the International Service Organization a couple of years ago, and then this past May in, in Washington, uh, D.C., he succeeded Tom W. as the Southeast Region Representative on the Board of Trustees. The board consists of, of representatives from the eight regions plus three potential, potentially three uh, at-large members. And John is our representative from the Southeast region here on the Board of Trustees. He is, uh, he retired from the cold, cold north and moved south to Florida, lives in Palm Coast, Florida now. And uh, yeah, has be, has become a good friend in a couple of years, um, contributing uh, very very actively on the board, and to uh, getting meetings started in the Florida area where there were none when he first moved down there. So it's a pleasure to to have John. He's going to talk tonight, and then he's going to present a workshop uh, tomorrow as well. And we'll be telling you more about that as we go. Okay. Um, so it's a great pleasure to introduce John Jay from Palm Coast, Florida. John. Jim's a hard act to follow. Um, he is right that uh, he and I have um, become fast but very uh, trusted friends, and I include him as one of the mentors in my uh, my program. My name is John. I'm a sex addict. Hey, to my higher power, I come to you in need of strength, wisdom, and courage. For so long, I have denied all responsibilities for my difficulties, always playing the victim role that I no longer see the truth in my life. Help me today to see clearly where my actions, disposition, and attitudes have helped to create the conflicts and difficulties I face today. I can't stand the feel of my pity pot anymore. That porcelain throne is no longer comfortable. It is cold, lonely, and worst of all, is now condemning. If it is your will, Grant me the gifts of perseverance, discernment, and wisdom that I might look within myself and find the courage to take up my cross and continue the process of being purified by you. Please help me not to deflect responsibility, but to look and correct those things that block the sunlight of the spirit from penetrating and cleansing my heart and soul. I pray for this to happen if it is your will. Amen. How many of you know Santi L? How many of you get the uh, daily email from Santi L? Then you probably have read what I just read. Let me read one more to you from Santi L. And if he was here, I would ask his forgiveness for changing just a few of the words of this one. Your higher power puts you on earth for a reason. You were perfectly created at birth for the sole purpose of loving him and our brothers and sisters. This 
is the unblemished truth. We have all been deformed by our life experiences, mostly during those precious formative years when all we needed was to be properly cared for. Through the years, our hearts have been hardened by a lack of love, brought on by a variety of traumatic events, loss of loved ones, abusive relationships, personal hardships, and so on. Addiction seemed like such a wonderful alternative to living in the now and having to deal with our stuff. But no matter how far down the wrong path we have strayed, rest assured that we all know, deep down inside, what the right thing to do is in every situation. So today I ask you, what is your right, what is your higher power wanting you to do? Is it to continue to live life as a malcontent wimp of a, of a person cowering and blaming life for everything that happens to you? Or is it to pick up your ass, put it in a bag and bring it to the next 12 step meeting or retreat where you can learn about the solution? Turn your life over to him by taking the steps and working the solution to all your life's difficulties. I believe deep down that my higher power just wants me to do the next right thing today, regardless of any of my rationalizations to the contrary. How about you? What is your truth? If you're not yet sober and still worshiping the God of addiction, I'm sure your higher power just wishes you to sober up and get into recovery where he will meet you on the path to him. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad that the uh, committee decided to invite me so that over the next few days we can talk about and learn and share from each other about how we can make progress in our recovery. That we can give our experience, strength, and hope to a sex addict who still suffers. There are faces in this crowd who I've gotten to know quite well over the 18 months. And I'm glad to be able to spend some time with you again. But there are many faces here who I haven't seen before. My soul rejoices at the opportunity to get to know you over the next few days and to include you in my daily prayer list so I'll never forget you. Every day I pray to my higher power for strength, courage, and wisdom. Many times during the day I say the serenity prayer over and over and over again. Sometimes just saying, just give me courage for the next second. Just help me make it for the next second. My life is blessed more now than it has ever been in the past. I'm enjoying my life more than I ever have. Six years ago, I wouldn't believe that that was possible. Six years ago, I had just left my wife and my son so I could look at pornography every day for the rest of my life. I'd been looking at pornography for over 40 years. And it got to the point where I thought that was all I wanted to do. And I left my family so I could put myself into toxic isolation, turn myself away from all my friends and all my family just to look at pornography every day for the rest of my life. So six years, you, six years ago, you could not have convinced me that I would have the type of life I have now. My life is all about my outer circle. My life is all about doing things with other people. 
not isolating by myself. Because deep down inside, I'm still an introvert. My earliest memory of looking at pornography goes back to when I was 16 years old. And I was over a friend's house. And I brought this big board game for us to play. And we were in his living room. And for some reason, he got called out of the room. And for some reason, I was attracted by this magazine. You can probably guess what happened next. I stole that magazine and took it home. And that was my senior year of high school. And up until the time that I went to college, I probably looked at magazine for almost every day. So over the next 40 years, I, um, I spent a lot of time by myself. I spent a lot of time leading a double life. People may have thought I was a good father, a good husband, a good church person, a good employee, a good supervisor, when deep down inside I just wanted to go somewhere by myself and look at pornography. So up until about six years ago, over uh, the 15 years before that, I started having this, I guess, vision or dream about being able to get to the point where I could just be by myself and look about pornography. And about six years ago, that's what I did. And I did that for seven months. Then I realized, what am I doing in this fantasy world? Is this really what I want for the rest of my life? And on May 6, 2010, I went to my first SAA meeting, having no idea what to expect, having no idea what was going to happen, not feeling anxious or uh, afraid to go to meeting. I recall my biggest concern being seeing somebody that I knew at the meeting, someone who then was going to find out about me. So I went to this meeting on a Thursday night in uh, Kensington, Maryland, and it was a big meeting, about 20, 25 people. Uh, they were all seated around in a large ring. So I walk in and I take a seat. person next to me said, hello, how are you doing? And then they uh, started the meeting. Little did I know that the uh, format of that meeting would be basically the general format that I would follow for the next uh, five and a half years. They read some uh, initial information, how it works, the promises, the 12 steps. But what they did each week was they read one of the 12 steps out of the Green Book. So we would take a turn going around the circle. Each one would read one paragraph from the step for the night. And then the person who read the last paragraph was supposed to be the first one who shared. And if you ever go to a large meeting like that, you know, you can, you can walk in, don't have to say anything to anybody. It's a large meeting. It's only an hour. You don't have to share. Not everyone shares. You can walk right back out again. And that was pretty much my first meeting. But the one thing I realized at that first meeting, that I was coming back. Because that's where I belong. Because people were telling my story out of their lips. I could identify with almost everything that was said at that meeting. And I knew that for the rest of my life, I'd be going to that meeting. So I went home that night. 
And I thought about, what could I say at a meeting like that? So I went back the next Thursday. And the next Thursday I sat down, I got there a little bit early, and I sat down to a couple guys who were um, talking about sports, so I started just having a ca casual conversation with them. But then the meeting started, and, uh, and we read the step, and again, I didn't share. So that night when I, really, when I went home, I really started thinking about, I got to say something next week. I, I can't keep coming here not saying anything. So I started really thinking about what I was going to share at that next meeting. So I went back next Thursday, and I said my share. And what I recall is at the end of my share, I got this large, booming response back to me. Thanks for sharing. Keep coming back. Uh, two of the guys that were there that night uh, made sure I got a telephone list, uh, pointed out their names and telephone numbers. Uh, by the fourth meeting, I asked someone to be with my to be my sponsor. Now I don't quite remember what steps we um, we read those first three or four weeks, um, and I didn't know anything about twelve step programs when I went there. I didn't know all the spiritual parts of the program because the first aspect that I identified with was honesty. Rigorous honesty that's talked about in step one because that was one of my, I would later learn, one of my biggest character defects, being dishonest. And it's probably the one character defect that I've made the most progress on in the last five years. But then as we would get into the other steps, we would talk about uh, a higher power. And by then I had started sharing on a regular basis. I would say that uh, although I had gone to church pretty much my whole life, I was called a cradle Episcopalian. I, um, I still have a picture of my mother taking me to be baptized by my grandfather, who was an Episcopal priest. When I was two and a half months old, I was taken to church every Sunday. When I got old enough, I wanted to go to church on my own because that was my social network. That's where all my friends were. And I would spend almost every weekend uh, all the way through high school to church because there would be um, what we call the Episcopal Church, acolytes, you may know better as altar boys. We would have rehearsal on Saturday after rehearsal. We would go play football or basketball. Sunday you would go uh, for your service where you were going to serve. Uh, then we would have a uh, young people's fellowship meeting uh, after church. And then we may get together and do things on Sunday. After, um, after high school, I actually went to an Episcopal college. Doesn't mean I went to church every Sunday. Because deep down, I didn't, I didn't really believe in God. I mean, I, I, I knew the prayers, I knew the service. Um, I knew what was going on. I know I knew the, the story of Jesus, um, but I didn't really feel a strong belief in God. So in college, I didn't really go to uh, church that much. When I graduated college, I did go to church on Sundays. First, because I thought it was a good thing to do. Second, because I found over the different places that I lived during my career, I found two churches that I really liked because I identify with the people 
uh, in the church. So here I am in this program that talked about spirituality and me not having any belief in any type of higher power at all. And I can remember uh, a guy talking to me at the end of the meeting telling me that, you know, your higher power can be anything you want it to be. It doesn't have to be a divine object. Uh, it can be Mother Nature. So initially, my higher power was this environment that we're in right now, being with other sex addicts where I could listen to their shares and hopefully glean from them something that would help me in my recovery. After a while, I did start going back to church. And what I found was my higher power was using the person that was giving the message to talk directly to me. Those words were coming directly to me about where I was in my life and how I could improve my life. And I was going to different churches, so I wasn't hearing the same minister every Sunday. So when I, when I uh, asked someone to be my sponsor and he said yes, the first thing he did, he gave me two pieces of paper. And in those two pieces of paper were five prayers. The serenity prayer, the Lord's prayer, third step prayer, the seventh step prayer, and the eleventh step prayer. He wanted me to say those prayers twice a day on my knees. He wanted me to go to three meetings a week. He wanted me to meet with him once a week. And on the days that I was not in a meeting with him or uh, meeting one-on-one -on -one with him, he wanted me to be in contact with him. And then he wanted me to start reading this 20 minutes a day. I have, um, I have a new way of life as a result of this program. Uh, this program got me in the habit of praying every day and got me in the habit of reading every day. So I started reading this every day, cover to cover. Then he wanted me to read the AA uh, Big Book, also known as the Blue Book. I read that from cover to cover both several times. I read some uh, Patrick Carnes books. I read uh, different books about uh, AA and about Bill W. Um, I then started reading other books uh, about addiction. I then started reading books about uh, the brain and, and the psychology of the brain. You know, 12-step programs haven't been around for 100 years yet. But this addiction that we have has been around for centuries. And a lot of people have written a lot of books that relate directly to our addiction. So I tried to find those books and read them. It took me a long time to finally admit that I have a mental disease. I couldn't get my brain around admitting to those two words. I, think, I thought all I had to do was stop looking at pornography and this would go away. And I had this discussion with someone earlier today and I've had this discussion with a lot of people who are in SAA and a lot of other 12-step programs. And they tell me how more difficult recovery in this program is than others. 
Because with other programs, what they're recovering from is some physical substance to put in the body, whether it be something they drink, something they eat, something they put in their arms, something they sniff. I don't need a computer. I don't need a television. It's all right in here. When I, when I first started going to meetings, every morning I would wake up and I would have these images come to my brain. Because for years and years and years, I welcomed those images. Because from those images, I would immediately get on a computer and try to find something that looked just like them. One of my favorite parts of this book is called Withdrawal and Relapse. And it talks about how it takes time to recover. Um, when I was first caught by my first wife in 1994, I went to a psychologist who didn't help me. When I went to that person to talk about pornography, all he wanted to do was talk about um, things that happened in my life, especially when I was younger. I later went to a second psychologist. She didn't help me. But after going to my first SAA meeting, and my sponsor told me about a psychologist that he went to, uh, I went to her for three years. And she really helped me a lot. She helped me to realize that if I was going to stop this behavior that I had practiced for 40 years, you've got to replace what you're stopping with something else. Because you're going, to, you're, going to, you're going to create this big void in your life of doing something that you've been doing uh, for so long. So my sponsor got me started praying, reading, journaling, and communicating with someone in this program on a daily basis. Initially, picking up that phone every day was hard. Dialing someone every day was hard. So I can identify with newcomers who ask me now who don't communicate with me on a daily basis. But I have to say, and I've never been one to uh, accept new technology readily, um, texting works pretty good. Texting works well because you don't have to immediately answer, and you can get something off your chest realizing that you don't need an immediate answer. And even when I was making phone calls, the important thing was making the initial connection, not necessarily what you get back. And my sponsor would always tell me when we would have these one-on-one -on -one meetings that he was always getting more out of our meeting than I was. And I would think, how is that possible? I'm the one coming to you for help, and you're getting more out of it than I am? He was right. He was absolutely right. And I have to say, um, I have maintained my relationship with my sponsor even after I left Maryland in November 2013. He's still my sponsor. Um, he's probably one of my best friends, if not my best friend. When I first started, uh, working with him, uh, I told him everything because I had a lot of different things going on uh, with me and he provided me with a lot of help 
and uh, advice. I can remember um, after being in the program for maybe about seven months, I really got the itch to want to be a sponsor. I wanted, I wanted to help somebody because my sponsor was doing so much for me. And there was this one guy who came to a meeting, and uh, I was trying to figure out, how can I get him to ask me to be his sponsor? <laughs> Don't work like that. Uh, but I've had a lot of people over the years ask me to, uh, to help them out. First thing I do is I give them the same two pieces of paper that my sponsor gave me. That practice of having a daily discipline has been one of the major differences in the progress I'm making my recovery. So every morning, instead of waking up to the images, I wake up and start saying my prayers. Even before my feet hit the floor, first thing I do is I start saying my prayers. Usually the next thing I do after I say my prayers, I do my readings. I read out of the Bible. I read out of answers in the heart. Uh, I read out of the voices of recovery. You'll like that, Garrett, I know. Um, and, I, uh, and I do my journaling. I used to meditate a lot, but uh, since coming on the board, I don't see to have that much time for it. And Tom and, and Jim and others in the room can relate to that. It's, there's a lot of work to be done in, in our fellowship, and I, I enjoy it a lot. It's brought, it's brought me into contact with a lot of people. Um, over the, uh, these five and a half years, I have come in contact with a lot of people through the fellowship. And I try to remember as many as I can through the prayer that I developed on my own. Initially, I would start praying for people that would meet in the program, uh, asking my higher power to extend to me and to them courage, strength, and wisdom to help us meet our goal today of being sober, but also that we use our experience, strength, and hope to reach out to the sex addict who still suffers. So over time, that list has, has grown to well over 100 people in the fellowship. Many of them I haven't seen for quite some time. Many of them I know are not in the program anymore. Uh, some of them I do have contact with. And it's, it's, it's an interesting exercise as I go through it every day. It helps remind me of when I first started in the program. It helps remind me of the people who have uh, helped me to, uh, to work with them. Uh, it helps remind me of the importance of my recovery and the importance of reaching out and helping others. Uh, I want to share with you a couple pages out of the Green Book. Step 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to other sex addicts and to practice these principles in our lives. Working this program leads to a spiritual awakening. Our relationship to the God of our understanding becomes an essential part of our lives. Through the process of the 12 steps, we let go of ways of thinking and acting that are based on fear, shame, and isolation, 
and we learn to rely on the guidance and care of a higher power. When we first came to the Fellowship of Sex Acts Anonymous, we may have sought only to stop acting out. But every step of the program contributes to a fundamental change in our outlook from self-obsession and control to surrender and acceptance. Our sexual sobriety goes hand in hand with our spiritual growth. For some of this, this awakening may be a sudden and dramatic gain in awareness. For others, it may be slow and gradual, and we may not even realize we've had one until we reflect upon the changes that have occurred. Although our experiences are different, certain aspects are common to many. We notice in ourselves the deepening humility that allows us to ask for and receive help when we need it. We find ourselves being less just mental, being ready to let go of resentments and admit when we are wrong. We make the effort to repair relationships that we have damaged. We choose to keep the company of people who respect us, care for us, and treat us well. We start to see life in terms of growth, change, and transformation. We have a greater sense of belonging, intimacy, and true friendship. We endeavor to live according to our true purpose, which is God's will for us. In step 12, we put our awakening into practice by serving others. With spiritual wellness comes the responsibility, desire, and the need to help other suffering sex addicts, just as help was freely given to us. This impulse springs from selfless love and gratitude, but is also essential to our own sexual sobriety and spiritual growth. Carrying the message to our fellow addict is as important in maintaining our own recovery as it is in helping others find theirs. Our message is simple and profound, that recovery from sex addiction is possible through working the 12 steps of SAA and that following this program results in a spiritual awakening. Each of us carries this message by means of the wisdom gained through working the program ourselves rather than through ideas or, theory or theories borrowed from someone else's experience. We are not experts, only sex acts, sharing honestly with one another. Our authority comes from our experience. We share what we know, how we got here, and how the SAA program has worked for us. For me, that is just one example of how I try to live my life every day. There are so many passages in this book that I try to live by that serve as a daily example of what progress and recovery means to me. The spiritual awakening that I have experienced as a result of finding a relationship with my higher power has indeed given me a new way of life. If you don't have a higher power, there's no way that I can convince you that indeed there is a power greater than yourself in this world. I can only share with you what my experience has been. When I first started saying the prayers that my sponsor gave me, over a period of time, I've seen true miracles happen in my life. Things that I never imagined could happen. Changes in my life I thought would never occur. Things that have happened in my life that I never had before. I've heard a lot of people say that they're glad that they're a sex addict. 
I don't know if I'll go quite that far. I'm glad that I'm in recovery, I'll sure say that. One thing that my um, sponsor emphasized in me from the very beginning was service. As I told you on those two pieces of paper, he wanted me to go to three meetings a week. After a while, he started talking to me about, you need to take your turn at leading some of these meetings. After a while, he and I started talking about new meetings closer to where we live. So the meetings that we were going to were uh, Monday night, Thursday night, and Sunday night. But I found this meeting on, on Saturday morning at a church uh, close to where I live. Same way that I guess everybody finds out about a new meeting, especially newcomers, I found out the website. And this was a meeting that was, that was struggling. The first time I went to this meeting, I had a very interesting experience. There was this guy who said that he was going to have an encounter that was going to change his recovery one way or another. Either it was going to strengthen his recovery or we would never see him again. We never saw him again. Um, I started going to that meeting. I started becoming uh, very close friends with the person who had started that meeting only two months before. And the meeting was definitely struggling with attendance. Um, there were times that it would just be the two of us at that meeting. There were times where there'd be, be maybe only three or four. Uh, if we had six, we really wanted to celebrate. Um, and then after a while, I think he suggested that he would like to have more early morning meetings uh, during the week so he could go to a meeting before going to work. So guess who got to start those meetings? So I started uh, a meeting on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning at 7.30 in the morning. And initially, it started off pretty good, very similar to a Saturday meeting. We would get maybe three or four people. I uh, got a fair share of newcomers who, uh, like my friend, could go to a meeting early in the morning before going to work. And it was no problem for, for me because that time I, by that time I was retired. Um, but there were many weekday mornings that I would go to that church and it would be just me. But my higher power said, don't give up on these meetings. Persevere through it. That, that experience really um, taught me a lot about um, my recovery. Um, taught me the importance of going to a meeting when that first person walks through the door. Then you know you're going to have a meeting. Um, and I, I took that experience, and in, in Maryland, where I live, which is just outside of D.C., there's an intergroup called the uh, Washington, D.C. metro area uh, intergroup, mainly comprised of meetings in Maryland and Northern Virginia, more Northern Virginia than Maryland. And similar to the intergroup here, they had, they had two retreats a year, and they had what they call recovery day twice a year. So each year there would be a recovery day and a retreat in Virginia, and a recovery day and retreat in Maryland. So I started organizing the recovery days in Maryland. 
Then I started organizing the retreats in Maryland. I then started going to intergroup meetings. I then became uh, the vice chair of the intergroup. Um, I then went to my first uh, regional retreat. Uh, that's where I met Wayne Kay. So I started talking, oh, I should have said, uh, only a couple people here know Wayne. Wayne was, at that time, the Northeast Region Rep to the Board of Trustees. And so I, I talked to him, you know, about the board, how he got to be on the board. I told him that I was going to be moving to Florida soon. So I told him that I was going to be going to the convention in L.A. So he said, well, when we get to L.A., I'll introduce you to the folks from Southeast Region. So I met Jim, and I met Tom. Little did I know that night they were going to talk me into being the alternate to the board for Southeast Region. <laughs> um, being on the board has been an, an interesting experience. And as, as Jim said, this is a critical time in our fellowship, a time of transition and change, where we're changing from the eight regions to areas, and we'll talk about this more in the, uh, in the caucus uh, tomorrow afternoon. But the part about service goes right back to my higher power. Another way that I know that I have a higher power is that my higher power has a path for me to follow. He has shown me individual steps along that path. All those service opportunities that I just talked about, he revealed those to me, not when I thought I was ready for him, but in his time. And he continues to give me opportunities for service. Just as step 12 talked about taking what we learned in the program and using it in all areas of our lives. So I moved to Florida in November 2013 I start going to this Episcopal church. And about a year later, the director uh, walks up to me and says, I'd like you to run for the vestry. Those of you who aren't Episcopalian, it's kind of like the board of directors. I said, well, when do you want to answer? He said, well, how about right now? I said, well, can't at least I think it over over service? So um, I thought about it, and I talked to my sponsor about it. And when I talked to my sponsor about it and, and thought about it, this was my higher power saying that you can now take what you've learned through your recovery from your fellowship and expand it to help serve others outside your fellowship. Just another example of my higher power working through me and me knowing that there is indeed a higher power because there are many days that I turn to my higher power and ask him for help. I get triggered and challenged by images, euphoric recall, things I see, things I definitely was not looking for. And the only way that I make it through is by following my daily discipline, starting every day with my prayers, doing my reading, doing my journaling, being in contact with someone. So when I first, before I moved to Florida, where I live on Palm Coast, it's about 60 miles northeast of Orlando. 
between Orlando and the Georgia border, there were no SAA meetings. So when I first went there, I would drive down every Monday night to go to a face-to-face -face meeting and uh, got to know the people there, started going to the intergroup meeting there. Second time I go to the intergroup, they have elections. Would you be our vice chair? Um, and that, that community, I think, is, is similar to Birmingham. And I know many of you here know people in Central Florida. There are, is a large participation of females in that community. Very different than the community that I was introduced to in Maryland. Very, very few females uh, in SAA in Maryland. Definitely no uh, women-only meetings that they have in, uh, in Central Florida. Uh, if you would see a female at a meeting, it would be one, two at the most. Um, and the few females that came back after one meeting usually did not last longer than, uh, than a couple months, if that long. Um, it's, it's really an interesting fellowship as you get to know people from uh, different parts of the country. Each part of the country has a little bit different culture. Um, when we close meetings at the end, everyone has a different saying that they have at the end. Everyone has a little bit different format. Um, but uh, after, let's see, before I left Maryland to go to Florida, I had already decided to start a telemeeting because that um, weekday morning meeting, that's how I was going to stay in contact with my friends back in Maryland, that we would have a meeting by telephone every Wednesday morning at 7.30. And telemeetings are very easy to, to set up. Uh, you go to the uh, SAA telemeeting intergroup worksi uh, website, which is www.saatalk.info. You tell them the day and time you want to start a meeting. Uh, you give them a little information about yourself. And usually within a week, they've approved the meeting. They give you the phone number. Off you go. And there's never been a Wednesday since December 2013 that there hasn't been a meeting. Now, I have not been at every single Wednesday meeting. There have been a couple times uh, when I was uh, doing some consulting work that I wasn't able to attend a meeting. I was able to get someone else to be the trusted servant uh, for that meeting. But, but it's, it's very interesting, especially over the first year, there weren't the same people coming back Wednesday after Wednesday, but there were always people there. Some people were there were coming because they were trying to do a 90-90. Some people were having a tough time and saw that there was a meeting in the morning that, uh, that they can go to. Sometimes the meeting only has three or four people. Sometimes the meeting has 15 people. I have, I've had people call in from all over the world, from Asia, uh, from Europe, because it's more convenient uh, for their time than where they are. Um, so that meeting has gotten a lot of meaning for me. And I did start a meeting in the county where I live. That meeting struggles for attendance, but there's never been a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. that we haven't had a meeting. There's always been one other person come through that door. A lot of times there's only been one other person come through that door, but we had a meeting. And there have been newcomers and there's this new phenomenon over the last two months. Um, people um, 
that are in drug court who also have a sex addiction problem come to the meeting and at the end of the meeting they give me a piece of paper they want me to sign. Hey, any way you come through the door, I don't care. Just come through the door and listen. But I, I really can't emphasize enough what this book has meant for me. Um, and I want, I want to, I'm going to end by reading a couple pages out of Tools of Recovery. Then I want to end with a, with a meditation. Sex Acts Anonymous offers a spiritual solution to the disease of sexual addiction. Every aspect of our program is founded on the experience of a, prior, of a power greater than ourselves, helping us live healthy and productive lives, free of addictive sexual behavior. With time and continued abstinence from our inner circle behaviors, we have found that the desire to act out becomes less intense and less frequent. That sense of compulsion is lifted from us. We now have a choice. We also experience relief from the obsession with sex and we are grateful to be free of a, of a craving that we thought would never leave us. Sexual sobriety is a gift that makes possible many other spiritual gifts, but it's not a cure. We need to remain humble, continuing to practice our program on a daily basis in order to stay sexually sober and grow spiritually. We cannot afford to be complacent or to live unconsciously, Maintaining the freedom we have found requires daily conscious contact with the God of our understanding, expressed by practicing the spiritual principles we have learned in recovery. We came to the fellowship of SAA out of desire to stop acting out. Through the steps we have been given, the abstinence we sought, but in the process we have been given much more, an entirely new way of life based on spiritual principles. Our journey of recovery lasts a lifetime. How many people are familiar with uh, Melody Beatty or have read any of her books? I want to uh, share with you something out of her book, uh, Finding Your Way Home, a survival kit, tools for discovering your emotional and spiritual power. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes so I can create this image for you. Picture yourself standing at the entrance to a bridge, a walkway across a chasm. You can make the bridge as high or as low or as wide or narrow as you want. But to get to the other side, you need to step onto the bridge and walk across. The side you're standing on is a little dark. It's familiar, but it's not where you want to be anymore. Even if you have some fear, envision yourself feeling excited and curious to get to the other side. You may not be able to see what's on the other side clearly yet, but it looks greener, lighter, happier over there. Feel your desire and determination to cross the bridge. Picture yourself walking, safely taking each step or running, if you want, across the bridge. Stay with yourself each step of the way, holding the railing, if you like, or run freely down the middle of the bridge. But take each step until you get to the other side, 
when you get to the other side, when you get to the other side, keep walking until you are completely off the bridge and your feet are planted on solid ground. Give yourself a moment to look back at where you've come from. Smile and wave at anyone or anything you've left behind. Bless them. Release them. Don't worry about who you've left behind. When they're right across, their bridge will appear. Turn around, smile, and take a moment to enjoy the beauty you see and feel on this new side. Know you're safe. You successfully crossed a bridge. Your feet are planted on solid ground. Feel yourself surrounded by people who love you. You may not be able to see your fa their faces or recognize who they are yet, but you can feel their love. Feel yourself surrounded by trees, mountains, sunshine, and birds. You may not know exactly what you're going to find on this new side, but you feel secure. Know and trust that it will be good. I hope you always find the other side of your bridge.